0: Hello, my name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we all experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and the greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all of that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe, follow, join, whatever button you're on. We're coming to you on a lot of different platforms today. So whatever that equivalent button is, hit it. And you'll be one of the first to, to know when we go live for future events or when we schedule future live stream events. Before we get too far into this today, I wanted to give a quick plug to NIMSY Research. Uh, NIMSY Research, of course, is from NIMSY, NIMSY Live, NIMSY Research. And the research team is crushing it recently, crushing it. Gabriel Karandisovsky, our chief operating officer over there, um, and his team of research professionals has been publishing quite a bit of research focused on translation, localization, and all of that fun stuff that we covered in in the intro. Uh, likewise, if you haven't um, seen the NIMSI Insights or the multilingual media, there's, there's a calendar on multilingual.com as well. If you haven't seen the localization events calendar, then I think you owe it to yourself to go on over there and um check it out you can go to niftyinsights.com events you can and this is uh it's pretty comprehensive it's all of the events in the industry that you need to know about you can filter by location you can filter by event type and um, like i said you owe it to yourself to go on over there and check that out before we get going, uh, just a little bit about the platform, we're doing this as a live stream via LinkedIn events because most of our friends are here already on LinkedIn, so it makes it easy to share and invite with new people. Um, go ahead and, you know, these like buttons and celebrate buttons and heart buttons and all of this stuff, you can hit those as many times as you want. And if you, if you hear something that you like or if you hear something you don't like, Um, go ahead and hit the appropriate button. Uh, Likewise, you can share this. If there's someone that you think could get value out of this conversation today, then go ahead and share it on LinkedIn and make sure that everybody is invited. But before you share, who are we talking to today? What are we talking about today? So let me give a quick introduction. More than 85% of the world's writing systems are threatened in the world, and with the entire written record of their culture of origin, um, that's threatened as well. How does script loss affect people, and why are so many cultures working to revive their traditional scripts or create new ones? Tim Brooks is the founder and executive director of the Endangered Alphabets Project. Since 2010, he has given talks and exhibitions about script endangerment at over 150 venues, including Harvard, Yale, Cambridge, the Smithsonian, the Library and Congress, and perhaps most prestigiously, now, NIMSI Live exactly (laughs) tim you're the you're the founder of the endangered alphabets project um so the endangered alphabets project i was seeing here in envisions a world in which all cultures are able to use their own written and spoken languages as outlined in article 13 of the united nations declaration on the rights of indigenous peoples indigenous peoples have the right to revitalize use develop and transmit to future generations, their histories, languages, oral traditions, philosophies, writing systems, and literatures, and to designate and retain their own names for communities, places, and persons. Uh, I'm not done yet. The Endangered Alphabets Project is a federal 501c3 profit nonprofit based in Vermont. Its mission is to preserve and revitalize these endangered cultures by researching, cataloging, and promoting their indigenous writing systems and using their um, them to create educational materials, games, and artwork. Whew. Okay. I'm done. What did I miss, Tim? Nothing. <laughs> Good. Nothing. So it's been fun. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Bye. 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 This has been Nimsy Live, everybody. Now, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, I, I think I got everything, but I was, um, you know, I've been following you for a very long time. I've been a v- big fan of your work personally for a very long time. I know you do a lot of collaboration with my colleagues over at Multilingual Magazine as well, but this is the first time we've ever actually spoken together. It's true. It's which, true, which is cool. So, so thank you for coming on today. And there's a reason for that because, well, first of all, the, the reason for that is just because it's about damn time I had you on the show. But also, we want to, and I'm just going to cut right to the chase here before we get into the conversation. You're running a f- spring fundraiser right now for the Endangered Alphabet Project. Just start off, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Okay, so um, it ain't just any fundraiser. This is This is the first time we've actually run a fundraiser to try and run the funds to uh, work with and on a specific script um, and the culture that is, you know, it's it's host culture, it's culture of origin. And the story there is really um, a remarkable one. So. In the end of the nineteenth century, so you're talking about during uh, colonial times in West Africa, actually in, um, in Cameroon, in a part of Cameroon that was its own kingdom called Bamun. uh, You have the the Bamum people, who are um, a a stable, a settled people who've been in that particular area for three hundred years, four hundred years, um, and Uh, They're then they're renowned for being uh, artistic, Um, their artwork, their carving, especially their carved thrones uh, are renowned throughout um, Africa and even into Europe. So this is not just a tribe. This is a people. And at the end of the 19th century, a very remarkable person, um, a young young guy took the throne as the uh, the king of of Bamrum. and he had this amazing insight, which anybody who's interested in language um, should be thinking about, which is as a a, a small uh, nation in an era of colonialization at the time that area was was colonized by Germany, which will turn out to be significant by the way. He he said it is really important for a people to tell their own history in their own language, in their own script, because otherwise. So he was way
0: ahead of the United Nations.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And by the way, that rights of indigenous people has not been um, upheld by most of the countries in the world. Uh, It was passed as the kind of thing like, yeah, this is what we believe, but uh, are people doing it? No. Okay. So, yes, he was way ahead. And especially during a colonial era, um, you know, typically it's the colonizing um, authority that makes the rules and tells the story. And in fact, defines the people as, you know, a tribe who are backward and are in need of our help. Etc. Etc. And King Ibrahim the Joy was having none of that, and um, so what he did was he put the word out to his people very democratically, and he said, "Bring me symbols that I could use to create a writing system." And people brought him. Um, sort of uh, designs and symbols that were used um, in decoration or in pottery or were features of the landscape or whatever. And he boiled all these down and over the course of um, 10 or 15 years, sort of worked on them and developed them and produced a writing system that was both unique to his people and really representative of them. It had come from their, their milieu, their surroundings. You know, this is, It's not just a bunch of letters. It is their bunch of letters. And what he does is, true to his word, he writes a history of the the Bamun people. He writes... um, a pharmacopoeia, because obviously kind of knowledge about the medicinal value of local plants, very, very important. Um, He creates a library, he creates teaching institutions. um, He almost certainly creates a printing press. And um, this is a golden age of the, the people of Bamum. He encourages intellectuals and artists And there is a real sense of a people coming into their own. So unfortunately, this was around the time of the First World War. Germany loses the First World War and they lose Cameroon, which gets taken over by the French. The French regard all of this flourishing of activity as being a sign of troublemakers doing trouble. And they go in there, they drive N'Joya into exile where he dies. They destroy the libraries. They destroy the artifacts, auto artifacts and, and every um, manuscript in the Mom script, they can get their hands on. Uh-huh. And in a way, this is simply the most dramatic example of what happened in many um, colonized places all over the world. So, here we go, we're now nearly a century later. It turns out that that script, kind of like the Cherokee script among the Cherokee, is well-recognized among the people of Bamon and highly respected because it speaks of their own um, past, their own golden age, their own endeavor. Um, but nobody can read and write it because it's not been taught in, Cameroon, as in many countries in West Africa and indeed throughout the world, all education takes place in the language of the colonizer. And um, so consequently, people who speak their mother tongue at home, they go to school and they're taught in French in this case, or English or, or in Arabic. And um, it turns out that the the new king of Bamum, young young guy just taken the throne now, uh-huh actually studied um, at St. John's University under the, the scholar who was the most knowledgeable in the Bamon script and he loved the Bam script and he went back there, he took the throne and he is now um, really excited about trying to revitalize it. So um, we have offered our help and the, the purpose of the fundraiser is to Um, raise the funds necessary to do things like help them create educational materials because there are none in the script, Um, help publish materials in the script because you have to have a reason to read something for a script used and valuable, right? And there's even talk that um, I would go over there and sort of join in this tradition of wood carving for which um, they are so well known. And actually do some um, carving workshops in the Bamum script, Ooh. because for those of you who um, don't know what I'm doing, one of the ways in which I, I promote these um, these minority scripts is by carving them in these incredible pieces of wood. So everyone kind of goes, oh, instead of like, uh, like, what is that? I can't read it.
0: Right. Yeah. So and it's all about. If for those of you, for those of you that don't know, go ahead uh, endangeredalphabets.com, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can go check out over there. But they have some of their um, wood carvings available, and I think that's a great way. I've always thought that um, when I first looked at that, I was like, "Well, why are they? What does this have to do anything? Why, why, why are they carving stuff? It doesn't make much sense." But it makes perfect sense because the best way to preserve something is to chisel it into stone. Stone's expensive, you know, <laughs> chisel it into wood. Heavy, it, heavy, it's yeah. It's gonna last it's heavy, yeah. So it's it's gonna last longer that way. So you said you might go over there to to um um to Cameroon. To Cameroon, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I wanna um, say um Côte d'Ivoire for some reason. To can't have you been before? I have
1: not. I have not and, and and hence hence the need for the fundraiser because the endangered alphabets has been running on a series of shoestrings now for you know a dozen years and so we need a, a kind of an extended shoestring for that but um you know uh, I would love to go and also take a um a, a small video crew so that you can actually here's the thing unless you see a script in its native habitat, Uh there is weird kind of division that takes place or bifurcation where on the one hand, you're kind of looking at it and saying, oh yeah, that looks kind of interesting and cool or whatever. And on the other hand, you see, you know, pictures of the people of that region, but you don't realize how vital the one is to the other. So You don't draw the connection, right? Yes, to save an endangered alphabet, is really part of saving an endangered people there are yeah otherwise no... it's just
0: fancy calligraphy right, right.
1: Equally, that connection. And equally so this is so what happened um with the whole word endangered is really kind of interesting because before the 1960s nobody spoke about endangered species and the way people regarded um extinct um species was kind of like oh it was their fault the dodo was stupid Stupid it didn't run away literally dodo
0: became synonymous with the word stupid
1: exactly as a way of kind of cleansing our own consciences that we you know eradicated this poor bird that was stupid enough not to run away right um When the Red List of Endangered Species was published in the 1960s, it just changed the way everybody thought. And so, you know, in Scotland, there are only 10 breeding pairs of osprey left. And people kind of went, what? How come I didn't know that? Right. Same thing happened with languages in the 1990s. Nobody spoke in terms of endangered languages until a very influential paper in, I think it was 96, And now you not only have documentation and research, but you have efforts at language
0: revitalization. Well, talk to me about, because you're the Endangered Alphabets Project, and most people think alphabets, language, scripts, blah, 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 like it's it's all the same, right? But language nerds know that it's not. Why is it that you're f- you're so passionate about alphabet? First of all, what what is an alphabet? What is a script? What is a language? What is a you know? Let's define some terms. I'm going to let you define the terms, oh. and then tell me why is why alphabets? Why not right. why not languages in general?
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, with the definitions first, an alphabet is one kind of script or writing system. It just happens to be. Uh, the one that because we use it we think we have the right to say the alphabet as if there's only one and to talk about scripts in general as alphabets as if they were all alphabets an alphabet strictly speaking has a symbol for each sound so it has symbols for um uh, consonants symbols for vowels um many scripts in the world um are for example syllabaries where each symbol uh, is for a a combination of a consonant and a vowel and um, we traditionally um, in the west have sort of said yes those are primitive they are just in the process of evolving into something more sophisticated like we have. In fact for a long time for centuries there was a theory that Chinese not being an alphabet was unsuitable for abstract thought and inferior and and this, you know, Confucius was writing in this script when Stonehenge was being built, actually before Stonehenge was being built. So it's clear nonsense. So the difference between endangered languages and endangered alphabets, or which should technically be, you know, endangered writing systems or scripts, is this. If you think about Indonesia, right? Indonesia gains independence after World War II. And Indonesia consists of, I think, 17,700 islands. And so the the, the government of this, this newly created nation thinks about like, how can we create a sense of unity and, and collective endeavor? Mm-hmm. And so they decide that they are going to have an official Indonesian language And they're going to write it in an official Indonesian script, which is, in fact, the Latin or Roman alphabet. So what happens
0: immediately in many of those 17,000? Hold up there. I might have missed something. You said official Indonesian script, but then you said it was the Latin alphabet.
1: Right. So they said this is going to be our. Oh, they're going to make story.
0: that official. Oh, okay, got it. Yes, got it. because okay. it is the Sorry, world alphabet, right? Yeah, this is it.
1: the one that this the is, world is using. This used is
0: it. For. Everybody use this, please. No more. Exactly. Mess. Okay. Got, got, it, got, it, got it. Got
1: it. Right. Okay. And you know, trade advantages, political advantages, all that kind of stuff. Right. So on an island like Bali, where you have this exquisite writing tradition going back four hundred years or so. Um, What happens is that in the schools, pretty soon they stop teaching the traditional Balinese script and they start teaching the Latin alphabet instead. And so within two generations, virtually nobody can read the traditional Balinese script. It only takes two generations right. for that script to be something which becomes kind of like, oh, that's the old folks writing. That's how they used to do things. Um, and uh, so you have an endangered alphabet or technically an endangered script. But you don't have an endangered language because they're still speaking Balinese. Um, they're also uh, many of them are also speaking the Bahasa Indonesia, you know, the -hmm. the, the sort of official Indonesian language. Um, So you can have cultures where both the script and the language are endangered, but you can also have cultures where where one of them is, but the other one isn't. Meanwhile, what is also happening all over the world, which is just amazing, is that cultures that did not have their own traditional script are creating one or in or people in those cultures are, are, are creating them precisely so they can have that sense of visible recognition um, so the difference between a script and a, a, a spoken language is you can see a script and so it stands in many ways as a an emblem of those people. So the Amazigh flag, for example, so the Amazigh people, um, so these are the also known as the Berber who used to occupy pretty much all of North Africa from the Canary Islands to the Western borders of Egypt. So they got marginalized increasingly over the centuries, first by the Romans, then by the Arabs, then by the French, until the point where they are minorities, even in countries where they're a majority. Mm. So and and they are described as being, um, you know, backward and primitive, and um, and the sophisticated people all learn Arabic, or this kind of thing. When the Amazigh Renaissance began in the 1960s, they did a really interesting thing. They designed a flag, and in the middle of that flag, they put a letter. They put the letter Yaz. And the reason for that is that you can see, Stones that were dug up relatively recently, that are two thousand years old, that predate the Romans and the Arabs, and they have that script, which is called Tifinagh, engraved, inscribed on them. And so the letter is a way of saying we are still here. We've been here all along. We predate all of this other stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to find a. Oh, yes, that's I'm, the one. I'm too slow, I'm too slow. Ah, ah, nice work. To get yes, the,
1: that is the, the Yaz, uh, that is the Amazir flag.
0: Yeah. I, um, so let me, I always like to talk, when I'm talking about language stuff, I always like to think, like, what if my grandma is in the audience? Well, God rest her soul, what if my mom's in the audience, right? Mm-hmm. So English is a language. In the English language, we have regular script and we have cursive script. So, because uh-huh. I think that's a hard thing for non-language people to wrap their heads around is like, what is a script versus what, what is a language, right? So how how far away until cursive goes extinct? And should it?
1: <laughs> okay. So um, not only is that the most common question. I it get was asked. actually
0: just a joke throwaway question, but I'm very excited that you actually yeah. have an answer for this. So go. <laughs> uh,
1: and I would say... I don't think I have ever given a talk in public where somebody hasn't asked me that question.
0: Wow. All right. Well, I guess I'm not as original as I would have liked to think. (laughs) What's what's your stock answer then?
1: Um, So first of all, there's actually a pretty small minority of scripts that have a cursive or joined up form. And, um, as we get accustomed to, uh, and, and, you know, uh, people of, of the younger generations get accustomed to, you know, writing with their thumbs. Um, the whole notion, not only is cursive writing used less and less often and taught less and less often, because often the teachers don't know how to do it. Mm. But it's even uh, even the notion of writing by hand is something that is um, diminishing. So I had a great conversation with a guy who runs this wonderful graduate program at the University of Reading in England, which is specialized in type design of non-Latin scripts, in other words, from all over the world. Um, and one of the things he said was, our students don't doodle anymore. Huh. You know, we think of writing as an extension of um, the human diminish." it's in as much as we're shaping our letters, the letters are actually representative of an, an, of our mood, our cultural upbringing. Um, you go to Paris and you see a, a chalkboard outside a restaurant, that handwriting could only be French. Um, and so writing is an autobiography, it represents our own interests, our own um uh, sort of uh, upbringing like I write a Greek e when I'm doing handwriting because my best friend did a Greek e and I wanted to copy him I thought it was cool you know it's extremely sensitive to the
0: individual that, that, yeah like I I do all capital n's like n's and Nancy like yeah my, yeah my lowercase n's are smaller versions of my capital n's yeah don't ask me why I right. have no idea that's just right. how my Tucker Johnson's handwriting has developed over the years. Yeah, and so
1: not only is
0: cursive something is
1: happening less and less, but even writing by hand in the West, at least, or in any any um, society with you know lots of devices, is becoming less and less common. And that has a really interesting effect on the way that we think about writing. It means that we think about writing in terms of production. Rather than expression so well, that's true
0: because as you, as you were just thinking I, I will prove your point well f- for me personally, okay. because as you were just um, talking about like we, we think of it in terms of production rather than expression, like as you were talking, I was thinking, well, yeah, because I can type way faster than I can write Th- Those were the thoughts that were going through my head as yeah. you were talking. And so that just kind of proves your point that I'm not looking at language as an expressive art form, blah, 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 blah. I'm looking at it as like, I've got a limited number of hours in the day and I don't want to spend half the time writing.
1: And the same thing, if you go back,
0: um, well, in most places
1: in the world, let's say 150 years, same thing happened with printing. What printing did was to allow an infinitely, um, reproducible facsimile mm. of the same thing and so the whole notion of writing as being an expression of the individual began to get defeated when people started thinking we don't want that we want something that is clearly legible and looks nice and professional and is all the same so that's a different way in which mechanization turned writing um into
0: uh, sort of production yeah i'm, I'm thinking. Um starbucks still does handwriting but it's become it's become a joke you know where they write your name on the cup it's become a joke because nobody knows how to write write anymore which is yeah it's very interesting i had an intern
1: um college senior very very bright kid really willing really able um technologically extremely savvy and at one point um, I apologized, I said, listen, there's this really menial job I need you to do. Um, well, or actually we're gonna share doing it because I never ask anybody to do something that I'm not also doing. I said, I need you to address these envelopes, right? We're sending out a bunch of copies of my book, Endangered Alphabets, um, I'll address these, you address these. And he he had such difficulty um, writing cleanly and neatly and uprightly right. um, because he'd never done it and he never did it on a daily basis. It's one of those things, you know, that you get better by practice. In the, in the end, I had to take him off the assignment and, and start doing it myself. Yep. He could have typed the whole thing up, you know, and spat out mailing uh, labels really, really quickly, but I didn't to have, have any. It was that the act, the physical act of representing himself through his writing was something that he almost never did
0: hmm and i'm I'm probably closer to that intern than i am to you just because how you know the world that i live in the world that i work in right now i want to get back well first of all hi everybody in chat we've got i always love it when we've got um more people i think we have more people joining us today than we have registered well because i created the event like 18 hours ago sorry about that but um (laughs) thanks for participating everybody see some see some familiar faces over there um but i wanted to get back to the why are why are they vital endangered alphabets because that was what i put up there into the title and as interesting as it is to be talking about cursive and my handwriting <laughs> and myself and one of my favorite subjects, yeah. why? Why is it vital? We talked about the United Nations. We talked about um, Sultan King. I forget his name. I'm sorry. Ibrahim um,
1: and Joya. And- yep.
0: Th- thank yep. you. But why? Like, put it into put it into layman's terms for me. Why is it important? Because one one could argue i wouldn't one could argue that well these old scripts are impractical and it's it would, they would be better replaced with you know latin script or a new script and one could certainly argue you, you gave the example of some languages some cultures going out and actually creating their own new scripts um, one could certainly argue i think that that seems like a big waste of time like why even create a script for something that doesn't historically and traditionally have its own script so why why are these important to somebody who doesn't right. know anything about
1: yes yeah. so um this is this is very much like um i, I was talking about endangered species so if you, if you go around asking people, you know, the spotted owl is endangered, you know, why, why is it important to save it? You're going to get answers a bit like that. You talk to the spotted owl and the spotted owl is going to say, what? Right.
0: So right. Fair, fair.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah the thing you is,
0: understand I'm playing a little devil. Yes, no, no, advocate. no, I understand right. that. So.
1: But the point, the point I want to make is not that you asked a bad question, but that history you know the phrase history is written by the winners so history is written by the winners in the alphabet of the winners Mm. so we're in this privileged position where we can say hey shouldn't everyone else be like us because we won we didn't win because our alphabet was the best we won because our alphabet had At certain crucial points in history, more lawyers, guns, and money than somebody
0: else. And a fellow Jimmy Buffett fan, uh, Warren Zevon. Oh, was that Warren? Yeah, it's Warren Zevon. Yeah, Jimmy Buffett covered it. Yeah.
1: So I don't know when you when you uh, uh, we are actually the 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 kind of the the worst people to ask about this because as so many different cultures around the world use the Latin alphabet. Um, I believe three quarters of the world's nations, by my count, either use it as the primary alphabet or as an official alphabet. And and, Like I've always wondered how, why? Well, lawyers, guns and money, right? Uh, Uh, Right. So consequently, we don't know what it means to have our own script. We have a script that is used by everybody for everything. It's like linguistic duct tape when you go and talk to people in a culture where they actually have their own script which was developed within their culture over centuries which has been used by everything uh, for everything important in their daily lives then when you talk about replacing it you're talking about striking at the heart of their identity in ways that we cannot even understand So I try and I try and explain to people, I say supposing that um, let's say, for example, you are listening or watching in the US and you are American. And over the course of the next 25 years, the economy of China or let's let's go wild. Let's say the economy of um, Sri Lanka becomes so dominant in the world that everybody has to do business with Sri Lanka. Then what that means is that first of all, in business schools, you know, people are going to start um, teaching either the Tamil script or the Sinhala script, and then it's going to make make, make its way into colleges so that people are ready, and then into into high schools and into the school system, and and eventually, what's going to happen is all the young kids, and especially the go-getters, the bright ones, the ones who want to make their way in the world, they're going to regard our current alphabet as being Backward hmm. as being out of position. Now we are so dominant. We can't even imagine that happening.
0: Yeah, I'm we having can't a hard time. It. I'm just like, that doesn't exactly well exactly. I, I have I think I probably have an easier time because you know, married married to an we were just talking before this, married to an African and she has Fanti and Tree, and they have their own scripts and all all of that stuff. And so I and plus just working in the language services industry, I can kind of wrap my head around that what that's like um and so let me give you you an example that that
1: actually is perhaps easier to understand because that one is just so difficult to grok as they used to say back in the day um so the reason i began to really understand what why this was important was i went um actually i was doing some public health work different hat in bangladesh and i met Uh, representatives of a number of indigenous or or ethnic people from the Chittagong Hill Tracts, which is in the sort of southeastern part of Bangladesh. And Bangladesh had at the time and still largely has a one language policy, which goes as far as to say, if you don't speak Bangla, the national language, you don't deserve full citizenship status. Hmm which is pretty, pretty um, uh, extreme. So in talking to these people, uh, one was from the Marma people, one was from the Moro people, one was from the Chakma people. It was fascinating to hear from them what it was like, for example, to go to school, and not understand the teacher because the teacher is talking in Bangla and they may speak several languages, but they are local um, indigenous languages that they grew up with, you know, but they don't happen to speak that one. And then being beaten by the teacher for not paying attention because they, they didn't understand what the teacher was saying. Second example, um, I, I met a guy whose father, was the greatest living writer in Chakma, which is uh, one, one of the more numerous of the minority languages, which also has its own script, and the Chakma people are are well known and widely respected, especially um, uh, during you know British India, but now they're in the position where they are um, you know treated as an inferior minority. So when he was a boy. His father was not only a, a great Chakma writer, but also had um, the largest collection of Chakma manuscripts and books and, you know, other materials in the Chakma language and script. And um, under, the, uh, under the pretense of keeping order during a period of v- virtual civil war, the military went into his house, killed his father, and burned down their house. And so, at a stroke, that entire corpus of Chakma literature, um, and I don't lit- mean literature only in the, the sort of pompous sense, but everything written, was destroyed. His father was killed, you know, the, the leading writer was destroyed, and his own familial connection to Chakma as a script was cut off. And so he grew up re- not being able to read and write Chakma. Um, And in fact, that's the situation that many or most chakma are now in. So the the business that the answer to your question, why does it matter, actually comes down to power. So endangered script is almost always a symptom of a culture that has been marginalized or suppressed or actively persecuted. And so endangered alphabets and the stuff that I do matter really less because of the, you know, the letters and the writing, and more because that is one way in which a people have or lose their sense of their history, their collected wisdom, their self-respect. Once you deny um, people the right to use their language and their writing that they have been using for centuries, you essentially make them poor cousins or beggars at the door of the dominant culture.
0: That's a fine answer. It's I've never a, used that phrase before. I'll have to write a, that I, I down. I like that. That sounds like a blog title to me. So, I mean, yes. there's very much an equity um, um, and inclusion and representation um, element to this. Yep. I, I wanted to get to uh, Lawson, who's been waiting patiently over there in the, in the chats. He asks, uh, hey, Tim, I would love, and I don't know if you know Lawson Stapleton. He does a lot of work with marginalized communities himself. Oh, great, um, great. Good connection to have. Um, lots it of is. connections in the Abri- I know they're not called Aboriginals anymore in Australia, or maybe they are. Um, anyways, I digress. He says, "Hey Tim, I would love to know your thoughts on how an alphabet is standardized to a language." I have botched my wording. Sorry, not a great typist. So, what does that process look like when an alphabet is standardized into um, standardized um, for a language? And Thank you. You gave some examples of yeah. you know, adopting like a Latin script and standardizing that. And you gave some examples of creating new scripts. Talk a little bit about
1: that, right? Yeah, this is this is a very contentious issue. Um, so, in let's say the early to mid nineteenth century, there was a great deal of uh, movement by missionaries into um, Southeast Asia, um, and many of the people they encountered um, did not use writing. As in fact, most people in the world have not used writing up
0: until relatively recently. And that was kind of one of my questions earlier is like, not all languages have scripts or writing. But don't throw too many questions at me
1: at once. So um, so what happened was um, in the name of being able to provide and education and literacy, um, uh, the missionaries frequently, if not universally, attempted to render the local language into the Latin alphabet, often by um, adding or modifying letters to accommodate um, sounds of of the language. So this has several values, but also several major problems. So first of all, the Latin alphabet is a stupid alphabet. <laughs> and you, you learn that when you play Scrabble, right? So one of the reasons why Scrabble works in the Latin alphabet is because letters mean different things. You can have a a word with a c in it where the c is a hard c going one way but then you can put another word with a c in it which is a soft c going across it you can't do that in many of the scripts in the world because they know what they're talking about they actually have different letters for all of the sounds um similarly you know there are two different th combinations there are several different g combinations you know it's It's very much um, an alphabet that's based on historical precedent and the fact that um, other people have to learn it. And as as all of your listeners know, anybody who's trying to learn English, especially if they come from a non-Latin writing culture,
0: struggle like hell this is i was gonna ask is that is that a latin script problem or is that an english using the latin script problem because like you don't have that so much in spanish por ejemplo
1: um it is yeah it's a combination of the two you're right um but to go back to this business of adaptation um in many cases um that adaptation happened not at the wish necessarily of the culture for whom the um, script was being um, adapted. Um, So for example, if you talk to the Barry brothers, okay, so many of you know about uh, the Adlam script and uh, the Barry brothers who created when they were teenagers. So in their particular area, the dominant um, language and therefore script was Arabic. Um, And so if somebody wanted to write in their, um, back up a second, their father was one of these um, wonderful people who could read and write, and so he acted as a reader of people's letters. So if someone got a letter in the local language, which they call Pula, Pula, Written in the Arabic script, they would bring the letter to their uh, to uh, Barry Brothers father, who would then try to read it aloud to the recipient. And it was often really difficult because the Arabic script on the Arabic um, writing system um, doesn't really correspond entirely to all of the sounds of the spoken language. And so you can see something written and you sort of guess at it or at least their father would guess at it. Mm And he would always complain to the boys about this, and they went ahead and created a script that was actually adapted to their spoken language. So to go back to your um, comment of about 10 minutes ago, why on earth would anyone you know put all the time and effort into um, creating a new script? That's the answer. Interestingly, that's often really unpopular with the authorities because the authorities are almost certainly vested in the dominant language and sure. the dominant script. And especially if they can't read this new script, they're thinking, who knows what they're saying
0: to each other? They could be planning subversion. It's about power, right? It's yes. about power. Yeah. Yeah. And right. you know, uh, authorities making decisions for other people is how we got into this mess, right? Exactly. And we it's like, my, I told you, my kids are learning tree, or no, they're learning Fanti, right? Do I want them to be able to jibber jabber back and forth without me knowing? What... No, I don't. I lose control as a father if, right. if they're speaking Fonty to each other, right? Yes. So right. I, I, I get it. it. We know There's still, of still at some least... colonizer in me with my poor. <laughs> yeah, <car>. right. <laughs> uh, we know of at least four
1: people who have been killed f- for creating a script for their people, oh. and we certainly know of others who've been imprisoned. For example. Um, it is it's a radical act and it means a commitment to what is usually a minority culture which again is 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 a wonderful and laudable but risky business
0: awesome let's see what lawson lawson has to say about that um can i read it from here considering considering your awesome push for oh uh oh oh, lawson's been busy in the comments says yes evangelicals uh china state i think is a great example i think or chin state is a great example yep yep or evangelists that's a word i don't know but maybe you do um, considering your awesome push for preservation of alphabets, do you think it's inevitable that – Lawson, you just want to come on and interview, Tim? <laughs> do you think it's inevitable that the times will sway languages conforming to the Latin script, e.g. Mongolia from a traditional script to Cyrillic to Latin? Ooh, interesting
1: example, because Mon- the, the Republic of Mongolia has made the decision – to reintroduce their beautiful um, traditional vertical script um, uh, which has nothing to do with my work on the game Ulus. They actually decided it before I had um, invented that. But um, yeah, so my, my take, and this is something that uh, there are people who are far more techni- technologically savvy than I may disagree with, is that the internet always does two opposite things simultaneously. So on the one hand, the internet is spreading um, the use of the Latin alphabet and um, especially in, in, for example, coding, which is at the core of the internet um, everywhere. On the other hand, the internet and the work of people like um, Craig Cornelius, for example, who's doing a fabulous job um, adapting uh, minority scripts for use in a variety of devices, which will actually enable people um, who are in a minority, such as the Zagawa people from the borders of Chad and Sudan, they can actually text each other in the Berea script, or they will be able to, without having to go through the script of the colonizer. That is a really radical state to be in. That brings
0: up a whole, like, I... (sighs) I'm not going yeah. to because we've you got You invited me, left, mate, you but, invited
1: me. Well, I, I, I got
0: other meetings after this, but I'd love to have a conversation <laughs> about like the implications of Unicode and all, all yep. of that stuff, but yep. not today. You did mention um, your game, Let's Tell us a little bit about, you know what? I'm not gonna tell, I'm, no, we're gonna do this. I'm gonna bring this up here because this is I'm really Tim cool. I'm
1: Tim Brooks. I'm the founder of the Endangered Alphabets project and I'm the principal creator of our game, Ulus Legends of the Nomads What made me passionately determined to create this game was that last summer I discovered that the remarkable Mongol Tim, culture, you gotta buy more
0: than one shirt man. and
1: especially its language <laughs> and its uniquely calligraphic script are under threat I decided that the best way to bring Mongol culture to the world and to help support it was to create a game, a game that combines Mongol mythology and culture with real people from Mongol history and real places from the Mongol lands. So the whole thing begins with a true event. When Chinggis Khan had created the largest world empire the world has ever known from uh, Eastern Europe to Korea he and his descendants faced a dilemma. What do we do now? Who do we want to be? How do we want to use this ulus, which means land or or home? Do we want to continue to be nomadic steppe dwellers? Do we want to be city dwellers or manufacturers? Who are the Mongols? So this is how the game starts. Each of seven Mongol gods has their own vision for what the mongol lands and the mongol people should be or should become and they play out their competing visions on the world map through a series of champions who are taken from mongol history and mongol mythology The champions travel through the Mongol lands fighting monsters and winning the assets that their god needs to create their ulus, their vision of the Mongol lands. The game is immersed in Mongol culture. So for example, instead of using dice, we use shagai, which are sheep's ankle bones, and are traditionally used for children's games but also for divination throughout Asia we play on a round felt mat which is made of the same felt that the mongols use for their tents and in fact these game mats were made for us in mongolia by people who sewed the mats and also did the calligraphy of the mongol characters on the mats themselves and the mat also has a drawstring which is perfect for nomadic cultures, so when you finished playing you put the game elements on the mat, you pull the drawstring and then you can hang it on the pommel of your horse or your camel as you move on. The very action of the game is nomadic, the champions move around the sacred sites in the Mongol lands season by season like nomads, And they end up at the Summer Festival of Nardom, which is one of the oldest festivals and sporting events in the world. And there they compete in traditional Mongol sports, archery, wrestling, horse riding, to win points that will eventually help their god win and establish their Ulus, their vision of the Mongol lands for the future. So we hope you'll play the game. We hope you'll enjoy the game. But in particular, I really hope you have as much fun finding out about this extraordinary culture as
0: I did in creating the game. Thanks. I just, um, any excuse to plug that, because I think that's so, any game that uses ankle bones is okay. (laughs) in my book, but let's, um, you know, we talked about the fundraiser. I put the link down in the LinkedIn chat, but not everyone's watching on LinkedIn. Um, spring fundraiser. Let's let's wrap it up can How can people help contribute? Where does their money go? Um, what does that look like? Go. Um, yes. So if you go to our home website, which is
1: endangered alphabets, all one word.com, And there is a nice link there that says how to um, support us. Support us. Oh, nice. Very good. And you pull down menu, make a donation. That's where you go. There you go. Um, And so um, if and when we hit our goal, which is 17500 I am going to do a drawing and pick one of our backers at random. And I'm going to do a carving for them, which says... Uh, the right to read in the Bamum script nice. um, in this incredible um, uh, uh, sort of turbulent grained wood that I'm using at the moment um, as, as an extra incentive. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, the the Olus um, game that you so kindly plugged, um, although my hair was looking better in those days than it is now, <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
0: Um, uh, I just thought it was funny that you were wearing the same shirt I had to give you Yes, a, a you know, I actually have that. two shirts but I, I, I wear this shirt way too much as well mm-hmm. probably a third of my nimsy lives are wearing this shirt so,
1: so okay. the, the, the game Ulus um, you can find out about at ulusgame.com um, and uh, we have had a great time working with the people in Mongolia obviously we're looking forward to uh, working with the people in the kingdom of, of Bamum which is uh, one of the the regions of the country that is now cameroon
0: very cool well thank you so much tim for for coming on the show it's it's great to finally uh meet you in person No, not in person i I
1: totally agree i i feel
0: i feel like we've met and talked and all of that stuff so many times before but um now we now we actually have so um Thank you very much, Tim. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it on home here. So stick around, and I'll talk to you a little bit after after the show here. So everybody, thank you. It's about time to start wrapping this up. Let's um, let's go to the outro here that I'm still working through um, because new studio, new scripts, new teleprompter, all of that stuff. Ladies, gentlemen, chat. We're out of time today. If you enjoyed this NIMSY live experience, then join us next time on... We don't have anything scheduled next time up until August. I think I'm talking to Anne Mai from Taos in, like, August. <laughs> we booked something. and so I don't know. My producer books that. We'll have to see what that's all about. Um, but that's, that's cool. It's always interesting to talk to the folks over at Taos. Um... If if uh if you are not already signed up, make sure to sign up via LinkedIn Events for any upcoming sessions. Subscribe to Nimsy Insights. Subscribe to Multilingual Media. Subscribe to all of that stuff. Um, once again, finally, my name is Tucker Johnson. It's been my pleasure to join you. I appreciate my guest, Tim Brooks, today from the Endangered Alphabets Project. I appreciate my colleagues here at Nimsy Insights doing all of the hard work so that I can come have fun on these live streams. I appreciate everybody in our industry who fills out NIMSY research and responds to our surveys. And mostly I appreciate you guys in the audience, in the chat, who are joining us live today. Very good questions, well thought out questions and active conversation over there. And I look forward to joining you next time on the next episode of NIMSY Live.